What's up, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this week's episode of Armchair Producers, episode 178. I am one of your hosts, George Terran, alongside the one who will make sure that all contracts are adhered to, to the letter from Welland Yutani, Mr. Travis Croft. How are you, sir? I am fine dandy. Uh, I should say happy Lent, I guess, to anybody celebrating. I think yes. Ramadan's still going on if you're so inclined. Um, yeah. Or just uh, celebrating uh, a long weekend early. That's really my jam here, you know. Um, but, uh, you know, who am I to tell people that they're wrong? Uh, well, that's what we do in this show every week, I know. But, you know. Um, <laughs> but we, we generally from, steer clear of religion. <laughs> generally steer clear. It's just, just a smidge. Where we did do that. We did, was that one time we really stuck the boots into Scientology. Um, that you know, <laughs> don't mention a war, we're still paying off a lawsuit. Um, we're not allowed to mention that, Travis. They'll cover oh, us well, again. They don't literally, the, the, the headquarters in Melbourne is like a block away from where I live, and it's a gorgeous building. And it's got the car park is full every day. And I just like wonder because it's a massive building, what the fuck could possibly be going on in there every day? Yeah. It's, it's always one of those things, like anytime there, there was one, um, at least I think it's a Scientology location just outside of, between Greensboro and Diamond Creek, because there's always so like family SUVs driving in at certain times behind a, so like a big old, so like an automated gate and things, and there's always someone on the, on the gateway, it's so like, there's no signage, there's people going in, are they the Masons? Are they Scientology? Are they both? Ooh. <laughs> it doesn't warrant thinking about, but uh, <laughs> what does warrant thinking about is tonight's chain movie and uh, um, the other two, which are yep. much better films. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm trying to, to, to bring a little bit of originality and freshness to chain movie you know everyone's had enough of these quality movies and these oscar award-winning movies where's the drek sir where's the drek well there's drek and there's piranha 3d but i'm giving it away should we should we just should we just dispense of the formalities Let, let's straight let's into it jump, let's jump into the 3 3d delight now did you watch this in 3d uh, I didn't know how you could possibly watch it in 3D. The old um, uh, 3D television sets that were a big deal there for five minutes after yeah. Avatar came out never really took off. I mean, I don't know if I've ever seen one in a house. Yeah. Uh, so, no, I just watched this on Stan, I guess it was, um, yep. Yep. in Australia. I don't know if our friends overseas uh where it streams there but um that's where we saw it i think and uh no uh it took me about i don't know halfway through the film to remember that like oh that's right they used to have that post-production 3d conversion mm -hmm. bullshit that they used to do that gave you a headache um mm -hmm. and that's probably why the special effects in this film look fucking awful like no that's not that's not the sole reason it's also because well, they they clearly didn't invest much into the CGI, but also it because of that they knew that, that's the thing they shot it in two D, but they knew they were going to use three D post uh, production on it to make it three D. 
So they made sure that they had those horrible stereotypical shots of shit coming right at the camera to really express the 3D. Yeah, you don't need that. You never need that. It doesn't ever. 3D does not improve the quality of a movie. I'm sorry. Across the it was a fad in the 50s and it was a fad in the 2010s, apart from maybe Avatar, which, look, I mean, it's been it's been over 10 years since I saw it, but I remember being impressed by how good it looked, at least. And they, at least James Cameron wasn't doing the um, smash you in the face with things jumping out of the screen. But let's take a step back. Yes. Piranha 3D released in 2010. Yes. After a sudden underwater tremor sets free scores of a prehistoric man-eating fish an unlikely group of strangers must band together to stop them from themselves from becoming fish food for the area's new razor tooth residence. Okay. Uh, directed by Alexander Aha or Aja. <laughs> um, just the, the, the unlikely extra member of Aha. Ha ha. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, starring Elizabeth Shue, uh, Jerry O'Connell, a two minute uh, cameo from Richard Dreyfus, meant mm-hmm. to heavily reference. Um, Jaws, yep. uh, a, a two-minute cameo from Christopher Lloyd, a two-minute mm-hmm. cameo from Eli Roth, our mm-hmm. link to the previous week's film, uh, Ving Rhames slumming it, mm-hmm. uh, and a an interesting and unexpected turn from Adam Scott of the um, Parks and Rec and uh, more recently the new season of Party Down. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, now- and there were, there was one of my, my home country's homegrown talents, Kelly Brook, in there, which still i don't know how she gets where she gets except her body did she really get anywhere though because she hasn't made a film in since 2018 and isn't she like shacked up with uh billy zane or something because they made a movie together and i think they i don't know uh i really wouldn't know um it's her spouse according to imdb Uh is someone called jeremy parisi uh, at least, um, who he looks like a male model. If I'm looking at his um, shot on IMDb, uh, maybe she was. I'm not sure if he is anymore. But uh, I'd never heard of it. M- my question was going to be to you, and and you, I need a really fucking good answer for this. What the actual fuck were you thinking with this <laughs> film? Because just what the fuck? <laughs> well, let's break it down. So. I've never watched this movie, so that it, it's a it's a tick in what we always try to do for the chain movie. We try and watch movies that we've not seen. We haven't really done anything in the horror element, so it's another fresh, mildly fresh element in that reason for being chain movie. It gives you tons of opportunities of where to go. You've talked about Richard Dreyfuss and Christopher Lloyd, so you've got connections going back in the annals of Hollywood movie, you have got some of the more unusual connections. Like, I, this, this has set you up perfectly for Kangaroo Jack, man. There are a lot of places this can be t- okay, go, one could go with this. Uh, Richard Dreyfuss is another person who um, hasn't done a lot of work lately. His most yeah. recent credit being 2022's Save Christmas, which would make a nice one-two punch with... Um, what did that Kirk Cameron film you had to watch a few years ago oh, was? No, I'm, I'm not subjecting you to that level of direct. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Um, this film would be, fair income, one of the worst films I have ever seen. 
<laughs> like it's just it wears its its heart on its sleeve in a sense that you know exactly what it's doing. Yep. Once you remember it's in 3D, which I honestly did forget, despite the fact it's in the title, to be entirely honest, because like you just don't see 3D anymore. And obviously, like GG special effects are fucking mm. terrible. Yep. Like seriously, student film awful. Like I think years ago. I lost one of the bets in challenge mode and I watched Jurassic Shark. Oh, now, Jurassic yeah. Park, Jurassic Shark. And yeah. I think the special effects are on par with that. Or I don't know if you've seen the trailer for mm-hmm. the uh, the new film from the guy who made The Room. Uh, oh, um, yeah. Giant but... Shark. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's that kind of level of crappy special effects. And it's so many, it's like, it's, it's so much nudity. It's so gratuitous. Yes, that's that's the thing with this movie. Straight away from the very from the opening credits and the font that they choose to use for the word piranha, it's trying to elicit some of those B, C, and D grade horror movies from the Grindhouse kind of era, but update it with modern sensibilities to a degree and it do- it certainly doesn't work for that and when you think of the uh, the overall success of recapturing those moments with um planet terror and death proof they did a much better job of homaging that even um uh, james gunn's slither that was a much better kind of reference to it but there's a lot of visual references and nods to that that kind of oeuvre of cinema that um i get why they did it because it's a dumb it's a dumb idea it's a dumb notion and for for a while the the way that they film richard dreyfus in the <laughs> when he's fishing the fact that the bottle falls and it just hits. It looks like that's the cause of the earthquake, <laughs> which is a better excuse than just an unknown earthquake. <laughs> so the uh, just the, the the sequel to this almost tells a bigger story than the than the original. The sequel to this is Piranha Three Double D, and it is a direct sequel to this. As Ving Rhames is the same plays the same character in that film. Um, David Hasselhoff's in that one, which is tops. See, um, we could have gone straight to that one, man. We could have, but you, you can't really just skip that, skip ahead like that. That would be. But th- this is a sequel to one of Jim Cameron's earliest movies. His first film is Piranha Two, I think. He got fired <laughs> after three days, if I'm not mistaken. Creative differences. Um, but I don't know if this is really references that though. Apparently, they did at some point want to have the previous Joe Dante and James yeah. Cameron do cameos in this but james uh couldn't make it which uh is very convenient uh, sorry um, i'm busy doing other things <laughs> being it's being a success um so um the... now as a, as a side note to what you said before about mm-hmm. the the 50s and the, the the 2010s being that moment in um 3d there is a nice little quote here from richard dreyfus he says i I don't know anything about Piranha other than the work I did on it. I worked for two days in the middle of the desert, got my check, and then left. I didn't understand 3D in the 50s, and I can't say I get it now either. I just don't see what the big deal is. It was a way. Yep. It was a way to sell more, sell a ticket for a little bit more money. Mm-hmm. It's basically if you're. 
you're young who doesn't around for watching films 10, 11, 12 years ago when this came out, um, uh-huh. that was basically it. It's a bit like they kind of do now. Like they're trying to um, do the premium cinema experience. Yeah. They sell you shitty overpriced chips and yep. cocktails. When I was a kid, the idea of taking, I remember I went to Russia myself yeah. on a trip in 2003 and they let you take a beer into the cinema because it's fucking Russia. Um, and um, you know, I was like mind blown. I could take a drink into the cinema. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I, it, it's a new thing here. It's very common now. Yeah. Take a drink into the cinema and ah. a premium seat. So it's very much an add on bucks or whatever it was for the 3D movie. It's shit like this. Oh, good evening, Richard. Ah. Howdy, Richard. Let's just bring it, bring his little chat up there. <laughs> good evening, uh, guys. It's weird, but I've just been emailed by Village Cinemas regarding Guardians of the Galaxy 3, which is coming out soon. And I, I saw the trailer and thought I would touch base with you. It left me thinking, oh, my effing God, it's a kid's movie. It even has skydiving Teletubbies. What the hell happened there? I know you've moved on from talking about this long time ago, but... These are my first impressions. Not good. <laughs> I um, think it looked too, too bad. Uh, I am a little skeptical, though, given James's mm-hmm. last effort was um, the holiday special, which was... We don't mention Christmas specials. It was fucking terrible. Like, I, it's people who rated it good. You gave it good ratings. I'm like, I, I don't know what you saw, but... It wasn't good. Mm-hmm. It was terrible. So, um, you will, uh, what it ends up being. It's his case, he's had a bit of a Midas touch when it comes to Guardians, you know. He's been mm-hmm. in spot, but I mean, Marvel hasn't done a good film now for a while. They've had one hit, I think, in the last. Like Spider Man, you know, the Spider Man film from last year was at No Way Home. Yep. good one before that was probably Endgame. Well, I mean, certified genuinely good, not... Oh, that's that's good compared to other movies that are out there. Yeah, it's been a, been a hot minute. I, I generally enjoyed um, uh, Shang-Chi. That was... Um, I, I liked yeah, that. Yeah, Shang-Chi that was, was okay. Yeah. Yeah. But it's it's generally the the quality is like oh that was fine or no look in your way Eternals look, and Black Widow <laughs> and Quantumanium <laughs> and yeah. oh no 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 the let's get back rabbits over Richard that's that's uh, anyway, we have been trying to avoid those. Um, but uh, Piranha 3D. So, w- w- what was the story here? The story here is we have a character like Jake, played by Steve, uh. who is McQueen's grandson. Yeah. The Steve. And he's on anywhere near as well. He is, uh, he lives near the lake, the Lake uh. Victoria. Uh, and has been tasked by his... Sorry? 
It wasn't filmed in Lake Victoria. Apparently, it's filmed no. somewhere else because they didn't want bad publicity about Lake Victoria. I didn't even know it was okay. a thing. I didn't know it was. Anyway, Jake's mum, played by Elizabeth Shue, uh, is the local sheriff or police officer, and she has tasked him uh-huh. to stay home for the weekend to look after his younger brother and sister. And uh, make some money and uh, spend time with his crush on the boat of Derek Jones, played by Jerry O'Connell, who is absolutely hamming the living fuck out of it all up. Completely, he knows exactly what movie he's in, and he know, he steals every scene he's in because he's just ridiculous. Um. So. Uh, yeah, he is. He's playing a, a parody of a real person. I yeah. don't know if anybody else is old enough to remember Girls Gone Wild. They used to advertise sort of vaguely Vox Pop porn mm. late at night on TV. Uh, and apparently the guy who founded that was a bit of a wild child. And that was who that character was based on. Apparently. So he, uh, Jake, uh, pays his brother and sister to keep their mouth shut and look after themselves for the day while he goes out on uh, Derek's boat. Uh, with uh, the aforementioned Kelly Brook and who uh, plays Danny and Riley Steele, who is a porn star, uh-huh. playing Crystal. Uh, and they are a couple of the models who uh, Derek is shooting for the day, along with his crush, uh, Kelly, I think it was. Yes. Um, and uh, they all end up going out the boat. And it just so happens the day before or whatever was the, 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 the earthquake that set loose all the piranha and arrow, hundreds of piranha in the lake, and his brother and sister, I kind of tuned out for a minute. They end up on the island in the middle of a fucking lake somehow. Yeah. And hilarity ensues, particularly at the wet t-shirt contest, <laughs> when the piranhas are a late entrant. <laughs> I, I, it's, it's difficult to talk about this film because it's just, it, it hurts it, remembering it. It, it, it really it's does. so bad. It's so bad. I... I don't, strangely, watching it, I didn't feel as guilty as watching Scooby-Doo. <laughs> because it's like, yeah, this movie's not trying to be anything other than what it is. But that's still bad. <laughs> it, you're right. In sense, you, this film knew what it was. These people knew what they were doing. It was supposed to be in the vein of, you know, late 70s, early 80s, you know, schlock yeah. films. You know, with lots of lots of nudity, lots of violence, and it was supposed to be ridiculous and over the yeah. top. Um, that somehow, despite the fact that they poured lots of each of those elements into the mix, mm. it didn't coalesce into anything that was worth watching. It was still fucking horrible um, and just obnoxiously violent. Like that was. This is also the time of. Eli Roth mm-hmm. horror porn being in vogue. It's about the, the when it was about summer's about yeah. set and that kind of thing. I think now that's that's one of the thing. Um, so I was expecting in the in in the massacre in the lake massacre sequence when the wet t-shirt competition thing starts going like that. I was just fully expecting that to capsize and just electrocute everyone. And I was expecting that to be how they defeat the piranhas. I was surprised 
but at the same time, it completely makes sense with how gratuitous all the violence was that they went, nah, that's way too quick and easy. We need to see bodies. We need to see things fall apart. We need to see faces coming off. <clears throat> yeah, even you got that. If that's what you go to yeah. this film looking for, you are going to get what you pay yeah. for. Um, it was gratuitous for me. It was actually kind of gross. Um, and it kind of just missed the mark. I mean, I remember films like Final Destination, mm -hmm. they were the, the Final Destination films. Yeah. And part of the appeal of going to those films was seeing the deaths. And mm -hmm. they were, I don't know, got to the point. I think the first one was playing with a straight bat. But after that, I think they figured out it was funny. Yeah. They, they almost played them for laughs. So um, it's, uh, it's the wonderful thing of in those movies every death is essentially becomes a more and more elaborate Rube Goldberg machine leading to yes. death. And that's, that's inherently funny. And the first time you do that, it is sort of like, Oh wait, what, what's happening? Wait, the, the, the wind has just rustled the, fe uh, the curtains just enough. Oh, it set the, the thing on fire. That that's going to cause they're going to burn to death. Oh no, it's going even more. It's, it's going to set off the fire alarms and they're going to be trampled as they go out of the building. Blah, 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 blah. It, you have that question, but second time around, it's like, okay, no, this is, this is, this is dumb and stupid. <laughs> Let's just play it as that. I, I the, the film redefines dumb when, uh, Ving Rhames and, uh, Elizabeth Shoes character, the piranhas in a lake with shotguns. <laughs> you know what's even funnier though? Yes, that is absurd and stupid. But there's there's so so many absurd stupid things. Like Kelly's character when she gets stuck in the kitchen of the sinking yacht, <laughs> she uses a frying pan <laughs> to knock piranhas away i just saw that and the noise that they use that quang, it just made me think of the disney movie tangled because rapunzel uses a frying pan in that i don't believe i've ever <laughs> seen it but um it it was um it was it was mind-bogglingly terrible um uh, uh, guns at, at um at piranha in a lake uh Ving Rhames' yeah. efforts with the outboard motor was so um <laughs> I love um, the fact that was... they made a slow descent of him as he was clearly just being eaten and sinking under the water and yet he's still stoically just there holding the motorboat. It's dumb <laughs> But nothing is as dumb as, all right, Julie and, um, what's his name, uh, Novak, they go to rescue Julie's kids on the sinking yacht, and they throw a rope, and they make a line, and then she goes over to go and help them, and then it's like, yeah, okay, we've got to get off. Everyone on the rope at the same time. <laughs> what did they think was going to happen? Yeah, I just uh, it kind of defies talking about this film. It is bad, bad, bad. If you if you just want to watch some 
hot chicks with fake boobs get devoured by piranha. You know, go for it. I guess this is your this is your um uh this is your citizen Kane. You know, this is your mm-hmm. you made these days. Um kind of had something resembling a budget, I have to imagine, if they picked up people like Christopher Lloyd and Richard Dreyfus and uh Elizabeth Shue. I don't think they would work for free. Um but oh I, my my warning with this will be give this a very very fucking like if nothing else just for the god awful special effects like that and they're not explained you're right explained by the um the free, that probably makes it worse i i still think that for the comedy horror aficionados out there jerry o'connell's performance is worth it it's on streaming services it's entertaining it's absurd it's it kind of makes me wish that i saw a little bit more of him working because he's entertaining at least i liked him in sliders i like him in this <laughs> well he's you know two- thing, this is, i would say this is one of the better performances um for, for from uh from him i've seen i kind of think of him as a very much a TV B grade mm. schlock film actor, like not not exactly. I mean, he was in some bigger stuff early on, you know, like um, yeah. Stand by Me was one of his early roles, which is you know yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, a very very famous movie. But uh, he was good in this. He was good. Mm. He usually said he understood the brief. Yeah, yeah, he got it, and I I kind of feel like um. Everyone else was sort of like, all right, well, they're, damn, they're our main story, so we need to keep them keep them in the movie. If oh, if only we'd kind of rewritten it to be more comedy and got more comedy or kind of character actors in to just do their thing all over the screen, that would be more fun. And even for his brief little cameo, Christopher Lloyd... Uh, the the absurdity of this small town aquarium shop owner happens to know and have a fossil of this prehistoric piranha <laughs> and then come on the, the end is just brilliant it's like they're the babies <laughs> it's like huh they're the babies i wonder what the parents look like <laughs> and then it ends <laughs> it's yeah no, that's enough. That <laughs> is enough. This film is beyond redemption. This is like, I was not a happy camper watching this. You have put me through enough. Oh, so well, uh, no, it's certainly true. And I will continue to put you through things. Absolutely. Um, I have no doubt that the Wheel of Heigl will return. <laughs> I think I was the only one who ever won that. That's true. You say won. Did no, you the, win? The, privilege of spinning the wheel i think you may have got to play connect shore oh, it's that's uh, right. the yeah. poly shore inspired follow-up um <laughs> and what's it might have been why you watched biodome actually i, I think it was correctly. yeah i think it was i had forgotten i'd watched that movie oh no <sighs> now you have the keys you have the options where are we going? i am going to take us to somewhere we all knew we all knew we were going to this place eventually uh, and I am. There's two different ways I could have gone to this place. I could have gone the soft option, 
I could have gone the harder option. And having been put through Piranha 3D, I am going to put you through the harder of the two options. Okay. And we are following Eli Roth. Okay. To Grindhouse. Not death proof. We are doing a double bill, huh? Grindhouse. He's listed as a producer, I think. Uh, we made one of the fake trailers. So, mm. um, and he, were, I believe, starred in uh, the death proof segment. But I feel like I have actually only ever seen Grindhouse once. Um, I don't think it actually got ever, it never got a proper release in Australia. Um, but the actual proper double feature thing that got released yeah. in the States because no one went and saw it over there. So I got split into two halves. So I've only ever seen it once, and that was in 2008. So I will be curious to check it out um, and see how it holds up all these years later. Okay. For those playing along at home, let's just quickly have a look and see where that is available. I am going to have to provide you with my own personal copy. Oh. You can watch – look, you can watch both Grind, um, both Planet Terror So you could do it that way. Um, uh -huh. Though I don't believe that involve, includes the fake trailers. Um, no. Which were created by people like uh, uh, Eli Roth, Rob Zombie. Edgar Wright um, made one. And some yeah. of these have been made in the film. Robert Rodriguez. Machete oh. yeah. was actually came from this. Hobo with a shotgun. Machete kills. <laughs> Hobo with a shotgun got turned into a film. That's uh, yeah, it's a really weird movie. Uh, and I believe there was talk of Werewolf Woman of the SS getting uh, the, the Thanksgiving film, which I think was, was it Edgar Wright or was that the guy uh, who made the Thanksgiving one? But that's being turned into a film now all these years later. So um, I, I think it's worth trying to watch the uh, original version. Mm -hmm. That's fair. Uh, because uh, uh, that, was, that was Eli Roth. Eli Roth, right? That was his yeah. one. Yeah. Uh, I, so they're a lot of fun. The fake trailers, and as you can see, they've gone on to be bigger and better things. So it's a little long, um, but uh, like I said, I could have gone softer and, and just gone with Death Proof. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, we all knew one day we would end up just watching a Quentin Tarantino film, um, and you know, mm -hmm. here we are. Things are determined to happen, and it sticks with sort of the horror angle. Mm -hmm. No, it definitely does. And that, that more successful Grindhouse revival that we were that I mentioned before. You did mention yeah. it. It's like I do your your uh, your psychic powers are at play. Uh, I would now like to what well, that's for next week. I would now like to keep moving and mm -hmm. explore the second I have thoughts about your psychic powers and that in relation to the new film Dungeons and Dragons. Dungeons uh, and Dragons. Honor Among Thieves. So I found myself going I bet George knew before the credits rolled exactly how this film was supposed to end. Um, <laughs> so I went and saw this at a cinema on Monday night. And oh, my Lord, I have never seen so many nerds in one place at one time where Lego wasn't involved. Look, they uh, knew you were going to be there. What can you expect? And I would also just like to – I was kind of a bit of a nerdy, geeky guy when I was 19, 20. And I think Dungeons & Dragons – I never considered playing it because I didn't know anyone who played it. But also it kind of – Went through a nadir, I think, in the 90s. I don't think anyone played much in the 90s, or at least I don't 
feel like it was a thing was anymore. Behind clandestine doors. Well, you know, it was kind of seen as an 80s thing. It was done and dusted and over. And it's really sort of revived, I think, in the last 10 years or so. Talk to the right people. They'll say it never went away. I'm sure it didn't. But in popular consciousness, yes. it sort of it was a you know, Stranger Things and then uh, Critical Role. And mm-hmm. that became very popular again. But yeah. my Lord, apparently that's how geeks meet women because there are... I was expecting a lot of spotty, smelly young men to be in the cinema with me. I did not expect the amount of them who turned up with with their girlfriend or, or a female significant other. So hey, apparently, well, just look at the cast that they've got involved there. That's gonna that's gonna bring um, bring a nice plethora of people in. You've got the Chris Pine who is um, aging gracefully with his like that salt and pepper beard of his. Um, you got Michelle Rodriguez in there. You've got Regin Jean Page, who apparently is, is scientifically being proven is the most beautiful man in the cosmos. Yeah. So Fair I'm enough. Told. I think <laughs> on planet seventy-two, Zenu is a little disappointed on that loss. To be honest, well, you know, mm-hmm. if you go back to the Hall of Mirrors, this is your <laughs> suggestion for obvious reasons. Uh, a charming thief and a band of unlikely adventurers embark on an epic quest to retrieve a lost relic. The things go dangerously awry when they run afoul of a wrong people. As you noted, uh, starring Chris Plan, Michelle Rodriguez, Roger Jean Pesh, uh, huge grunt, Hugh Grant. Uh, if you have a big name in here, uh, I recognized I didn't know anybody else. Justice um, so. Smith was in Detective Pikachu, and he was in um, Jurassic Park Lost Kingdom. Um, Sophie Lillis, she um, was in It. Ah, yes, of course, she played uh, Beverly Marsh, I think. Yes, young Beverly. And for, um, for a bunch of other people who uh, probably recognize her um, from, I think it was... Witcher, um, Daisy Head, who played Sofina, she has been uh, slowly but surely turning up in a few things. Um, she was in uh, Shadow and Bone that I talked about on the show. She was in Underworld, uh, Blood Wars, Wrong Turn, The Sandman. So she's slowly getting a little bit of a uh, little bit of work under under a stick under a skin, but she doesn't have much to do really beyond being obviously evil i don't know how anyone looks at these people walking around in black hooded things with bags under their eyes looking bad and not smiling or laughing and just going yeah you're totally on the up and up <laughs> i am um, so i'm i'm curious now you're a big dungeons and dragons fan how long have you been playing by the way uh Six years? Only six years, yeah. It's a while, though. Mm. You are yeah, I've been, I've been f- uh, following Critical Role for longer than that. Um, it wasn't until coming to Australia and joining the Murder Game group that I uh, hooked up with my now regular D&D family for, um, for D&D sessions that started off as a player. Now I'm a DM and a player, and it's fun. It's highly enjoyable. Um, so your opinion on this, I feel it's going to weigh a little higher than mine. As a fan, what did you mm. make of it? I thought it was actually pretty good. 
Overall, I think that uh, so like the references to all the different creatures and their creature effects look pretty good. Um, like we're open with, <laughs> I, I did like, I don't know if it was intentional or not, but the homage to the opening of Jurassic Park with the carriage kind of being backed on, I just kept on having in my head, shoot her, shoot her, <laughs> as they're trying to offload the Velociraptor. But this this time it's a new um, inmate into this ice prison. Um, I liked the way that the Aarakocra kind of looked when Alexander turned up for the for the viewing. The the Dragonborns looked cool. Um, over what? Dragonborns, the like reptilian-looking one on the council. Okay. Yeah. Um, I the the one thing that I didn't quite like was just the way that they shot the sort of halflings and things like that. It didn't look as good as how they were able to uh, force perspective with Lord of the Rings when Gandalf and uh, Frodo or Bilbo or any of them were on screen. Didn't look quite as good. They were relying too much on CGI to fix it. Weird little cameo from Bradley Cooper there. Very well. see pop up like that, yeah. Yeah, I was not expecting that. Um, but the the creatures in particular, like the mimic chest, looked great. The gelatinous cube was a cool little um, extra in there. The displacer beasts, those panthery like things in the maze, looked really cool. Um, there were some really nice little nods and it it did enough to kind of introduce the far realm and um, the forgotten realm to be able to just go, okay, we've introduced this world. Now we can have different stories in here. We can do whatever we like. They haven't gone in trying to set up a Dungeons and Dragons cinematic universe or anything like that. They just went, you know what? Let's make keep this simple. It's a heist that goes wrong. And it's a revenge heist now. And you get enough. The pacing keeps it going well enough. It's two hours, 14 minutes of a movie. It does pretty well. And in a nice little twist, arranging a group of D&D playing friends to go and see a movie about D&D is just as difficult to organize everyone as organizing everyone to go around a table and play D&D. So it was a nice little reference there. Um, and there were so many wonderful little nods, like in the, in the maze sequence, there was, um, uh, Chris Pine's group, there was the other group. And then one of them, they were all dressed like Dungeons and Dragons cartoon characters. And it was just this sweet little nod that if you didn't see them, if you didn't know, they just looked dumb and stupid. They didn't fit, like look out of place in the world that they'd fleshed out throughout the movie. But if you knew, you knew. And it was, I didn't know. Yeah. You have you, did you never watch the dungeons? No, oh. I don't remember that. I don't know if it was on here in Australia. Oh. Here, I, I don't remember it. Maybe I was a little bit too old for it by the time it was on the air. Ah, oh, that's just disappointing. Um, but um, I really enjoyed it overall as a movie as well. Taking the the Dungeons and Dragons stuff out of it um, because it was kind of what I expected, which was very much in the line of Brendan Fraser's The Mummy, where it's like. We know that this is kind of dumb, but we're going to have fun. We're going to have actors that know what movie they're in, and we're going to just deliver a fun action romp. And that's what it does, and it just so happens to have the lovely dressing of Dungeons & Dragons. 
did you think did you know what was going to happen at the end very early on in the film oh of course yeah <laughs> okay. um, I, as, soon, uh, as soon as um, they got back to try and reunite with um, his daughter, it's like, yep. Yeah, careful. That's what's going to happen. This is, this is <laughs> a I, knew, I knew straight away what was going to happen. Um, I obviously come into this as a bit of a clean skin. I am aware that Dungeons and Dragons exist. I have never played. Um, uh it's always seemed very geeky to me as a kid, but like it's if people enjoy it, you know, whatever. I don't know. I don't know if it would be for me. I've never tried it. Um, but I know there's a deep you will, lore. Sir, you will. I know there's a deep law to it. Um, and uh, people, t- I knew the film was going to be packed mm. with references that I didn't get. So, um, Vox Machina is that the one that's the Twitter roll show? Critical Role? Yeah. What, no, the TV show, the cartoon. Oh, Fox Machina, yeah. Yeah. That was, I didn't like that um, because that seemed to be written for people who listen to the podcast or whatever Critical Role is now. Um, you know, uh, and it, it was just, it was made for fans, which is fine. Yeah. They've got a lot of fans, make something for them, that's fine, but do not try and sell it to me as an outsider. Mm. The other part this film has going against it is, I, as a, we've had this conversation a lot of times, it's sci-fi or it's fantasy. Very rarely do those two crossover fandoms. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I am a sci-fi man, not a fantasy man. Now, the crossover happens. I liked Lord of the Rings a lot. Mm-hmm. But you have given me a, a setting of a film that's sort of, you know, wizards and mages and all that kind of bullshit. And I'm kind of going, yeah. my interest level drops to about zero. Mm. Uh, so this film was pushing uphill from the start because of that. Mm-hmm. I want to say, though, it did push uphill fairly successfully. I mm. enjoyed this enough to walk out going, huh, that was worth it. My, I have some complaints. Uh, I felt it started slow. I, I wasn't a massive fan of the uh, plot device of him you know, telling his story quite like that, though. Chris Pine's wonderful in this. Mm-hmm. He's very quippy. It's almost, you know, Lord of the Rings meets Marvel um yeah a little bit and he's, he's, that was might be a while to get warmed up and maybe that was just because of me that that, that my initial reluctance going there are wizards and warriors and swords and magic and shit i don't want i don't like that but um once it got moving i was on board my number one complaint as is always the case is it's too long mm-hmm. um this is not a story that needed 134 minutes to be told uh-huh. This film should have been an hour 50, hour 45, and a little bit snappier. I can't say specifically there was anything in there that was completely mm. – there was no um, – what was the casino planet in uh, The Last Jedi? I can't remember. It's a bite. You know, no scene like that that just could mm. not make any sense being in the film. <laughs> um, so, But it just needed to cut, cut, cut here. It was too long. Mm. Um, I was getting a little bit a little bit tired by the end. I'm like, could you – I think – I think in itself, that's also kind of a reference to D&D where very frequently you get sidetracked and like, like the whole going off to go and get the helm um, in the underdark. It's like, okay, that sequence and that, that story element in itself was cool. And the, the fact that they had an obese dragon is a 
is great because you always think of, sort of like dragons like smaug and these sort of like flying death machines but one that literally oh you know what i'm just gonna slither everywhere because i cannot walk it's a great twist on a classic character um i only thought that was kind of in bad taste personally like i mean you know uh it's 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 akin to i know the uh a little bit woke here but like isn't it akin to fat shaming a little bit like we can it's okay to point and laugh at the fat character you know if the character was female mm. uh, overtly female or overtly you know a trans character for example or or queer coded character you know and we had ah look at the gay dragon laugh we would be like no you don't do that anymore but if it's fat you can laugh at it um that's so a good, anyway, that's a good that comment. A, yeah, that was a thought I had while I was watching it. Going, it's, it's a little bit disappointing mm. that we're still doing that. You know, it's a little bit like someone pointed it out to me after Fat Thor in Endgame. It's like, oh, they're fat shaming. Because I remember thinking the the Thor character in that film was actually very amusing, but mm. they do kind of take the piss out of him a lot, like you know, um, of, of his weight. And you're like, again, if he was a gay character, a trans character, a person of color. You, you don't you don't make you don't get to make those jokes anymore because like you you've quite rightly decided that you know there's nothing wrong with being you know gay or trans or whatever like you know and making fun of people because of it's not cool so i'm going way too deep into a uh a film that does not uh, entail <laughs> dragon travers but you know if we, we sub in a different type of character and all of a sudden it's okay mm. um and if i had a criticism it was insanely predictable like, I mean, I feel like I'd seen this film before. And, like, I, I, I remember thinking about 10 minutes before the end going, I wonder if there's a post credit scene. And I didn't know if there was. And I quickly Googled it after the end of a film. And there, of course, there is a mid-credits, post credit scene. And I'm like, but when I was thinking 10 minutes before the end of the film, if there is a post credit scene, I think I know what it's going to be. And it was exactly what I thought it was going to be. And I'm like, that's a bit disappointing. I mean, it, is a, it was a funny joke. But um, it was just a little predictable at every step of the way. And you know me, that's not really my superpower. It's your superpower. Um, but, like, every step of the way, I'm like, so it's going to happen. And, oh, there you go. That's what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's a, that's a minor criticism because they are playing in a very well-played-out space. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if a film does have echoes of other films in there, I got echoes of the Avengers at different points. There were moments of Star Wars-y kind of moments as well. Yep. Um, just a vibe rather than mm. it resembling Star Wars. Even um, it's like the kind of the cultivation of the the band of thieves, it's somewhat kind of reminiscent of um, the Star Trek reboot with Chris Pine in it, where it's sort of like, okay, so he's got his established friendship with um bones in star trek and with this it's with um michelle uh, rodriguez and it's like okay you know what that worked in the first one and it works here that's okay um so yeah it's uh, michelle rodriguez gets a little bit more to work with in this film which Mm -hmm. i liked i mean um i I read a a thing in the uh, trivia here which i i hadn't heard before Mm. was that they liked emasculating their male characters because they thought it was fun. Um, and, you know, that sets a lot of best triggering <laughs> triggering for a lot of people these days. Um, it's kind of a controversial one. Like you and I 
had a similar thought about, say, Captain Marvel, which did something mm. made every male character in the film look like a dick, which, you know, yeah. obviously most a lot of men are dicks. Like we, you used to work in a gaming store. You can, mm. you can attest to uh, the dickishness of young men. Or um, <laughs> Wonder Woman 84 did the same thing even worse. And mm-hmm. it's just, mm-hmm. what the fuck? Who wrote this shit? Yeah. Um, but that I did not get that vibe from this film at all. If that's what they were trying to do, they were unsuccessful or they did it in such a way that it was uh, it felt good natured enough and it wasn't annoying. Well, I mean, looking at sort of like the the core four of the of the band of um, Edgin, Holger, Simon, and Doric. Holger and Doric are definitely more confident in themselves and understand and know exactly who they are and what they're really going for compared to Simon, who is just riddled with insecurities, and Edgin, who is a liar, but a kind-hearted liar. And so it's like, okay, you know what? Yeah, that works. <laughs> um, so the fact that she is the barbarian, is that yes. the cows? And she just beats the shit out of multiple guys all the time. It's in keeping with her type of character. It's a very Michelle Rodriguez kind of role to play. Right. But I like it. They softened her a little bit. And they had the scene with Bradley Cooper in it, you know. Right. Um, they actually gave her something to do other than kick the shit out of people. Right. Um, and I kind of liked the relationship between her and Chris Pine's character. It was... Um, yeah, it was... It, was, it, was it felt... It was it almost... Weirdly... Okay, go with me here. Felt okay. a little bit like Han and Chewie. Um, not in the fact that obviously yeah. she can't, obviously she can talk and stuff like that, but the bond, it felt real in a yeah. sense that you kind of got the vibe, but this is two characters who have a great deal of love and affection for each other. I also like that they set them up not as a romantic couple. Yeah. And they didn't basically have a romantic angle on any characters. I mean, there's a soft indication that um, Simon did try to court Doric previously, but she said, he made her sad. <laughs> um, <laughs> Jeff, was, I love that as a comment. Yeah, that was fun. It was funny. And I, and, but he, and he, at the end, he tries to have a second chance to call her, okay, spoilers. But nobody who saw this film was not expecting that to happen at the end. Mm. But, like, that doesn't really – we don't spend a lot of time mm. on that. Like, it's just sort of – it's a comment and it's gone. Yeah. So you know Simon does have an interest in Doric, but, like, we don't waste time with a – you know, a, a love interest, which, you know, and the platonic, almost familial friendship between Edgar yeah. and Holger uh, is a little unusual in film today. I don't yeah. think we see that very much. Yeah. Um, so I, I liked that. And it was like, uh, Michelle Rodriguez is get a little bit boring because she always plays the same kind of character. And she mm. does again. She's not really stretching here. No. But the filmmakers put an interesting twist on it. Mm. Um, I also liked Hugh Grant as Forge. Chewing their fucking scenery. Like. Absolutely. He is the absolute perfect charlatan. Um, he, they, they know what Hugh Grant is good at. And they just go, okay, yep, that fits. We need someone who you are not going to like. But god damn, he's charming. And I, oh, I, all right, you, you can get away with it. Uh, no, you, but you're, you're being horrible. I, ah. Uh, and you constantly kind of torn because you kind of root for him in the way that you want him to have a redemption arc at some point, where it's like, oh, I've I've set all these people up to die or whatever. I can't let that happen. 
but he sticks the course, and I respect that as a character choice. <laughs> he is, he was really a lot of fun in this, and like as like the best kind of film where you actually enjoy them scheming and being evil. Mm. And like um, it, it's one of the, one of the fun lines. It's in the trailer. It's not a spoiler. So like, um, I don't want to see you die, so I'll leave the room. <laughs> <laughs> it's delivered perfectly, and it's it's, it's brilliant. <laughs> It, I think overall, the writing in this might be the film's strongest point, mm. which is a strange thing to say for a film like this. Uh, it is written by three people, uh, Jonathan Goldstein, John Francis Daly, who directed, uh, those two were the co-directors, mm-hmm. and a, a gentleman named Michael Gillo. Um, mm. the, uh, Goldstein and Daly, I think, wrote the, a Spider-Man film as a host. Um, it, was a, um, it was, sorry, Homecoming, yes, in 2017, okay. which I thought was a pretty Perfect. decent Spider-Man movie. Uh, mm. They also wrote Horrible Bosses, um, which I haven't seen, but I know people liked. They, uh, I think they were both Not involved terrible. in Game Night as well, which I, I didn't like quite so much. Uh, Michael Giglio, um, let me just bring him up here, has a lot less on his resume mm. uh, as, as a writer. Um, uh that uh, three things, uh, none of which I've actually seen before, um, <laughs> Dungeons and Dragons. But I feel like just the way the story played out, well, I'm, on the one hand, I'm criticising it for being a bit predictable. There are enough, there was enough points of, of oh, that's a bit clever, mm. uh, which uh, kept me entertained. Like, um, as you said, the quippiness could become a little bit cloying, um, to Richard's point from earlier about Guardians of the Galaxy, those guys, all they do is quip, you know, and it's almost become uh, over overdone in the Marvel mm. Universe now. But I don't know, I, I kind of found myself going, huh, this is really cleverly written. Like um, the involvement of a hero thither staff, um, if, if that is the, if nothing else comes out of his film, someone somewhere is now going, we need to make a portal film. Mm-hmm. 100%. The noise itself just kind of makes you think of portal. And I've never even played portal. So, um, but I, yeah, I'm sure it is. Puzzle games, not my jam. Um, God, it's so difficult. <laughs> um, but I was like, oh, yeah, this, I mean, and, you know, uh, everybody knows, everybody's thinking the same thing. I'm like, oh, portal. Um, so I am. Um, I is strangely a fan of this film because I thought the trailers looked like absolute dross. Uh, I don't think they knew how to market this. I, I yeah, I think that they, I think they've tried to keep a very fine line because there was there's actually a quote um, from um, Hugh Grant talking about this movie and it's actually quite a a good valid point. Oh, shut up. Um, where is it? I'll try and bring it up. Hang on. Um, Hugh Grant spoke out on his concerns with the tough crowd that Dungeons and Dragons fans can be, as well as his hope for winning them over. I'm scared stiff of the gamers because they're very territorial about the game they love. Um, so they may want to hate it, but they're not allowed to. <laughs> Which is, again, very in character for Hugh Grant to say something like that. Um, 
But at the same time, I think that is also part of the the struggle because so much of Dungeons and Dragons is improvisation and imagination that in many ways some people had similar similar problems with Harry Potter being translated from a book to a movie or Lord of the Rings and things like that where they did you know little changes a character didn't look exactly how you expected them to one of the big things that a lot of D people talked about from the trailers was the fact that the druid could um shape change into an owlbear which is a legendary creature and they can't do that it's not a beast it's a monstrosity so it breaks the rules of the game but it's like but it looks cool and the rule of cool in dungeons and dragons is usually one that wins out so it's like, okay, where can we push the, where can we push the envelope? Where, where can we show a hand? Where, what are we going to be able to do with the trailer that gets those D and D fans in, but at the same time, isn't so insular like legend of Vox Machina, where it's like, okay, you know what? This is for a very specific crowd. So I get their difficulty. No, it is a tight, you're right. I, in terms of the actual final product, Mm. I was just surprised at how bad the trailers were for this. There's a number of people have come up to me after and said the trailer looked fucking terrible. And I thought just they looked refer terrible. Just them to any Marvel trailer. I, I think this is like, then again, Marvel's got a lot on its side already. Marvel's got Marvel, right? It is what it is, right? And mm. They almost don't need to advertise anymore. It's like, hey, it's a new Marvel film. You're going to see it anyway. Fuck off. Yeah. Um, you, you are cordially invited to the cinema on June 14th. You don't need, really care why, do you? <laughs> We're telling you. <laughs> yes, they're going to be doing... This is going to be a sky beam this time. <laughs> this one is red. <laughs> uh, so, um, yeah, I a pleasant surprise for me. Hmm. Cool. Uh, how, how was it, the reaction amongst your crew? Um, so we ended up <laughs> typically having three, three of them drop out because they weren't able to make it. Um, but still had myself, Ryan and Josh who came along and we all really enjoyed it. It was the fun romp. It had, there were some things that they did in it that just made you kind of go, or at least it made me go, oh, damn, that's actually a really cool way of u- utilizing that spell in that way or do, doing that to... I hadn't thought of using it that way and that's inspiring and fun and enjoyable. And yeah, so far it's seems to be doing well at the U S box office. I hope we get more along the lines of this. I would be happy for another adventure with this band of thieves if they were interested to do that. But at the same time, there is a huge, huge wealth of things that they can do with Dungeons and Dragons very kind of uh, canon-focused stories if they want to go more that route or if they want to do a bit more of this separate entity thing with reference name reference drops and place reference drops and that sort of stuff, they can do that too. They've set up the, the world of D&D in the modern age in cinema in a very, very positive way that I think they've got a great foundation to build off. Good call. Uh, it, they did pretty well. Just make the next one shorter, please. Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> um, should we uh, keep? Should we move on from that and to our yeah. final film of the week, which was I don't know, the suggestions from mm-hmm. Plus Piranha. 
um, this week. Uh, the, the last one this week is Tetris, which premiere is a film that you can find uh, on Apple, Apple Movie, yes. Apple TV, or uh-huh. Apple Plus. What do they call TV it now? Uh, uh-huh. Starring Taron Egerton. Now, if you don't know about this film, you might be going, "Have the fuck to make a film about Tetris and does it suck?" Uh-huh. And I was trying to explain it to someone today at work. I'm like, it's not actually about Tetris, uh, the game. It's about the licensing of the game after its yeah. creation, which you go, okay, licensing a video game, that sounds exciting. Not. Mm-hmm. Um, but here we are. It's actually a pretty interesting story. What did you make of it? Um, I I remember I read um, a little um, one of the things about it and – I think it was Taron Egerton who said, "This this is like the Social Network." So I'm like, "Okay, that got me interested," and the trailer got me really interested because it's it's an interesting trailer with kind of the the '80s music and stuff that's that's going on, holding out for a hero and all of that stuff, which just you know gets your heart pumping and your juices going. It's it's also one of the most ridiculous kind of movies that I've seen. It's actually quite an interesting. They they IMDb label it as a biography, drama, and history, and I think it's very loosely history, loosely biography. It's got drama in it, but it's also kind of um, a light thriller, maybe a business business thriller. Yeah. And it it kind of works. So the the synopsis, a story of how one of the world's most popular video games found its way to players around the globe. Businessman Hank Rogers and Tetris inventor Alexei Pajitnov joined forces in USSR, risking it all to bring Tetris to the masses. It should be noted, this is largely based on the true story of how Tetris came to be licensed for yeah, use, uh, for game for computer uh, computers and consoles and stuff around the world. Specifically, really, the story is about Hank Rogers attempting to license Tetris for handheld devices. Mm-hmm. That's the plot. Yes. Um. Uh, so, as you sort of mentioned, Taron Egerton is the star of his film. Probably mm-hmm. the face most people will. He and Toby Jones are really the only two faces I think I was particularly familiar with. The only um, other one that I knew was um, the lawyer. Um, well, he's not even on the. Oh yeah, the bank manager Rick Yoon. He was uh, one of the bad guys in um, uh, Die Another Day, James Bond movie. <laughs> uh, Roger Alarm plays Robert Maxwell in this, and I knew his voice, yeah, but not his name because he was in V Vendetta uh, as. Portnoy or whatever the guy that probably yeah. I'll tell you what I think. I'll tell you what I think. Yeah. Um, only Britain remains. Um, England shall prevail. I think I heard today they were going to do a reboot or a remake of that. Please leave it alone. Yeah. Um, uh, so the the plot of the story is uh, Hank uh, uh, Rogers is a game developer uh, publisher. He mm. and his wife run a small game development publishing company. They live and work in Tokyo most of their time. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's not very successful. He's most <laughs> recently tried to make a video game version of Go. I don't know much about Go, but I know it's complicated and not fun unless you really <laughs> fucking like it. Um, and probably not a great concept for you. This is set in the 80s, by the way. 
he play bumps into uh someone who is trying to uh, at a vegas uh was it ces yeah. they don't have him anymore yeah. ces uh, not anymore um that uh, he play e3 while we're at e3's it e3's fucking dead as well once upon a time however mighty have fallen yeah my uh, birthday week is just shot now it was way, <laughs> way more interesting my disappointment is immeasurable and my day is ruined um <laughs> uh but uh, he plays a, a demo of tetris there and realizes this game is spectacular and wants in on the action he mm -hmm. and sets out to try and get the rights for japan he finds out the rights are held by a one of your former countrymen, uh, uh, Robert Maxwell, whose company uh, escapes my his main name escapes me right now. It isn't important. Robert Maxwell, for those who don't know, was a complete charlatan. Uh, uh, yes, uh, you might know his daughter a little bit better than Robert because Robert's been dead for a while. His daughter is incarcerated in the US at the moment. Ghislaine Maxwell. If you don't know who Ghislaine Maxwell is, hmm. maybe you know Jeffrey Epstein. Ghislaine and Jeffrey were acquainted, um, shall we say. <laughs> <laughs> um, Mirasoft was the name of his company. That's right, yes. Anyway, they were a big video game company back in the 80s and 90s. I'm sure I had Mirasoft games. Um, and Toby Jones plays Robert Stein, who is somebody who goes in and out of the USSR quite a bit doing business. In mm. doing so, he has secured something resembling a license for use of Tetris as it turns out, on uh, PCs. PCs, yes. And he has then licensed on sold that to uh, Robert Maxwell's um, Mirasoft, who are now claiming to own the worldwide rates of the game. Mm -hmm. For arcade um, and PC console. and console. And, yeah. Only to find out that maybe it's not quite that clear. Mm -hmm. uh, and that when uh, Hank Rogers buys the rights to console and arcade in uh, Japan, things start to get murky about who really controls what. And the only way to sort it out is for Hank to go to Moscow and try and get a handle on himself by visiting the Soviet games company who technically owns the rights mm -hmm. and tries to negotiate with them and the creator in person. And hijinks ensue. And it's it's a really fascinating look as well into copyright law in the Soviet Russia, where it's like, oh, yep, he may have, uh, Alexei may have made it, but it belongs to the country and we will not sell it outside of the country because, and he doesn't get to profit from it at all because it's for the country, for the good of the communist country. It's, ah, yeah. Okay, that's, that's different. There's <laughs> a game development, and it's just so bizarre that arguably, I think it, up until uh, Minecraft, this was the most popular video game of all time, the highest selling. Uh -huh. uh, that said, it is a that is that is counting sales across multiple generations uh -huh. of consoles and platforms and stuff like that. But uh -huh. something like 500 million copies, I think. Yeah, um, I think maybe it's three now behind GTA and uh, Minecraft, but. It's kind of crazy to think that they, this game came out of the USSR, which not exactly a giant in video gaming, you know, like. Yeah, I mean, and, and I'm sorry, there, is, there are numerous generations of people who you say Tetris and in their heads, they suddenly have do, 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 playing and playing and playing and it becomes an earworm. And then you find yourself driving along in the car and everyone's just humming it. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Well, I, I don't know about you, but like one of the, I guess the basic, the main plot twist of this is that Hank has a rights for for NES in Japan. Uh-huh. Yeah, the arcade rights are a bit murky, but then Nintendo demo the Game Boy. <sighs> did you ever own a Game Boy? Yes, I did. I owned that Game Boy, not that specific one, but the the one that came the the very first packaging with that ridiculous kind of robotic arm on the front cover, the gray block took four batteries and they said, I love the throwaway line in it. So like, Oh yes. 30 hours of battery life. Like, no, <laughs> nothing gets no, 30 hours yeah. of battery life. On, on like, why isn't it color? Oh, that would take eight batteries or something. I had, um, I did have a game boy and I am very sadly, I think I sold it to a cash converter for like $20 or something like that. But like the hour and it even came with a case. I had a hard shell plastic Nintendo case. You could, with a shoulder strap you carry around with a little and like man that would be worth a fortune now um so i don't think i've seen one since the 90s but my god the hours of fun i had playing tetris on that thing like mm. i think tetris was far away the best game on it at least that i had my oh i see you're just spitting in the face of so many mario's gargoyles quest <gasps> I mean, in fairness i didn't have a particular i didn't have a lot of money you just don't so. like fun travis I didn't have a particular, I didn't have a massive library of, of yeah. games to pick from. So I'm not exactly a, um, an authority <laughs> figure on the matter. Um, but uh, I did actually at some point, I think I sold it yeah. and I upgraded to a Game Gear, the Sega Game Gear, which for, its, which for its time was revolutionary because it had a very high def color screen. That took eight batteries and chewed through them in 20 fucking minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a bad call, but we're, we're off topic as, as never happens here. It's, it's um, still loosely on topic. Um, but let's so get back to the movie. The, the, uh, there's all sorts of shenanigans going on. He doesn't really know how to navigate the Soviet Hank sort of turns up on a tourist visa in the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. Doesn't really know how to, how to navigate and sort of gets into it with the... Certainly doesn't know how to speak the language. He hires a, uh, an interpreter um to help him out who has questionable motives um and uh it gets into negotiating with the actual uh the the, the owners of the game's copyright and the uh the maxwells with all their power and might uh you know there's also sort of in, in the game against the background of some of the shenanigans that would come back to haunt mm-hmm. uh uh both robert and uh his son Mm-hmm. Uh, Robert died, I think, before um, that shit really hit the fan. Yeah, uh, but there was suspicion around his death. I would say he died. Yeah, he fell off a fucking boat. Did he fall? <laughs> was he pushed? Look, Kevin Maxwell was exonerated. He, he got off. He got <laughs> off. He clear. He got. The, he was disqualified from becoming a company director, um, mm-hmm. and now like runs some weird NGO. Um, not suspicious at all. <laughs> Parts of most of this film I really dug. Can I just call out this? You mentioned it earlier. The soundtrack is a fucking banger. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I literally the other day at work, uh, sitting, this is this is uh, we work over here, uh, when we uh, in our day jobs, Michelle and I, and we were sitting in here just banging away to like the actual film soundtrack on Spotify. This fucking rocks. Yeah, uh, it's really fucking good. Yeah. Like maybe it's not just you. George mentioned there were '80s songs, but like um, uh, we need a hero. I think it was and um, Heart of Glass. I think by Blondie, but they yeah. are like the Japanese and Russian versions of these songs. Yeah, um, it's a lot of fun. Um, and that really helps set the scene. 
The art style of the film as well is brilliant. It was split into uh, stages of, uh, of the game or levels, I think. Mm. As a, almost like the film split into chapters, but levels. And each level is introduced by a, uh, a bit art, you know, um, you know, intro of, as you might expect from the, the era of the 80s and 90s. Mm-hmm. Later in the film, during a car chase that I'm afraid can only be described as tacked on, um, <laughs> as the car chase proceeds through the streets of Moscow, as the cars smash into other cars, they they take on, a, a again, sort of an 8-bit um, uh, sort of look while they're doing it. And I don't know. I really dug that. I thought that was a really nice addition. It yeah. really helped set the scene for the added an interesting element to the film. Yeah, I agree. And that that was completely made up. There wasn't a car chase in in real life or anything. But it was it was fun. It was kind of what the movie needed a little bit, considering the the interesting mix of style that it was going for. Because it's there's genuine threat from the um, uh, what was the guy there's like the head of international commerce or something. Um, oh, the uh, central committee guy. Yeah. And he was almost like, there were elements of him that made me remember the, the Nazi general guy from Raiders of the Lost Ark. So like, hello, Fraulein. <laughs> it was like, okay, he's, he's not quite that absurd, but he's also really quite scary because he just turns up and he just has this rather nice conversation with Alexi's kids, doesn't really engage with Alexi, and it's like, okay, bye-bye, my little um, tennis players, gets in the car. It's like, oh, yeah, that's really scary. That That's that's just disturbing. And the se- sequence of um, so like him having teaching the kids about gravity and size not mattering and stuff is like... Ugh. But then you've got the kind of the almost comical absurdity of people fighting over the rights and the the um, the head of the um, Russian company just literally moving from one room to another, just playing each other off each other. It's like this is a good parody of what capitalism is. It, it does a good job of it. I wouldn't take that to mean this film has a lot to say no. about capitalism, um, but uh, one one can certainly interpret it that way if they wished. Um, or you can just watch this for a fun ride. Um, interesting question for you. Mm. Does this qualify as a movie based on a video game now? No. Ah, curses. <laughs> it, it skirts a line, but it is not about the game like i i have a feeling that you know there's there's a ridley scott produced or directed version of monopoly that's supposed to be coming through that's been on the books for a long time i kind of imagine it being more along the lines of this sort of thing rather than an actual movie based on like what they tried to do with battleships oh god yeah that was (laughs) not good yeah but we're um, we're we're right. We're now on that precipice where there are becoming more quality video game, board game based or inspired movies and TV shows coming out that are slowly turning the tide. It's ten years. We will be made right. We will be truth tellers. 
I read this week they're planning apparently to make another Street Fighter film. Yeah, I saw that. Um, because the last one was so good. Um, totally. It, it, you can tell. It's, it's, I think the, the wheel's turning now. Like um, mm-hmm. The Last of Us did the business. Um, uh, Mario film comes out this weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to crush, I think. It's going to make all the money. Whether uh, or not this movie is kind of irrelevant. It doesn't matter. Like, you know, Angry Birds made a shit ton of money. It was a terrible film. Yeah. Um, so this one has got, this is premium, but like fucking Mario is like, yeah, like second to Mickey Mouse and that kind of thing. So, mm. and let, let, let's just look at that one itself. This, um, with the financial success of Mario Brothers, that'll be two Nintendo owned properties that have been financially successful at the cinema with Detective Pikachu a couple of years ago. And this, it is only going to be a matter of time before mm. we get an onslaught of slightly more mature options. Like there'll be some kind Zelda. of... The Zelda film is surely going to come. Or a TV show of that. There'll be a Metroid one. There'll be whatever they want to. There will probably... Be, they've probably already got Uwe Boll knocking at the door saying, hey, I want to make Excite Bike the movie. <laughs> it's it's going to happen. And I'm Sony have already, with their, with their terrible Uncharted movie, they already put the bloody select sony pictures and put all of the outlines for the staples of successful characters that they want to bring to the screen it's like they're already doubling down on it when this first movie was trash well you know god of war probably that's yep. probably i well, mean that's you know, a tv show i think they're doing for that as well uh you know what well, i don't know tetris here that's uh, how long until we finally get power glove the movie um i just want bubble bubble man Bubble bubble. Yes. Yeah. Wouldn't put it past them. Uh, we <laughs> have cute little um, dinosaur creatures. We have Fallout coming from Amazon. Yeah. Um, I'm Got not sure. Lines. I've said before, I'm not sure Fallout is necessarily the property that lends itself to, you know, uh, scripted TV, but I love it. So I'll watch it. Um, at least I'll try. So mm. I am, could be right, but I thought this was a real treasure. Mm. Weep. And I, it's actually. Super watchable. It's not particularly scary, violent, no. No. gratuitous or offensive. So you can watch this with your kids. It's mm-hmm. a fa- this is almost the definition of a family movie in 2023. And at an hour 58, it's just on the right amount of time, I think, for me. Great soundtrack. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, highly recommended if you have access to mm-hmm. Apple TV because they've got some good shit out lately. Yeah. Yeah. They've, they've been doing, doing quite well, quietly just putting things out and Never seems to really be much of much in a way of fanfare for the stuff that they put out there, but they've got some really good TV shows. They've got some interesting documentaries and films coming in there. If you've got a PS5 um, as well, it seems like they've got um, you can get six months free uh, free for Apple TV or something like that. So there are plenty of possibilities to at least trial it and see what you see. Uh, good call. Um, shall we put a pin in uh, and move on to? I think we're going great in terms of time tonight, and we might get it under an hour and a half because I think I'm the only one with any binge browse bones tonight. Mm-hmm. Burns, I, burn. I have bones. <laughs> binge browse bones. Um, yeah, I, I haven't had an opportunity to really go into too much for um, for binge browse burn. Honestly, busy week. It's, it, it happens, so I'll keep it. I'll 
keep their people entertained with their television offerings for the week. Mm. Uh, and the first one I would like to talk about is that maybe a little bit controversial in the sense that I didn't sit down and watch it, but that is Well Mania, which is a new entry on Netflix. I have seen the, the adverts keep popping up on Facebook for this. What is it? And I build it so die young attitude and the basic gist of his show is it is all about celeste barber now as i said it was a bit controversial because i just got to happen to be in and out of the room while this show was being watched um uh, mm. by michelle this week and i'm not gonna pass any judgment on her because you know god knows that i like some absolutely terrible television like one of my favorite things on youtube is to watch dash cam videos i fucking love watching dash cam australia <laughs> Um, it's one of my, like, so I have absolutely no leg to stand on about what's good and what's bad. Other than to say that if you, Celeste Barber, I'm guessing you aren't familiar with her. No. Australian comedian is the way they're putting it. She became very popular on Instagram a few years ago, mainly through her parody of celebrity thirst traps. So, you know, they're sort of a hot, you know, I don't even know who these fucking, you know, Kim Kardashian-style Instagram influencers looking hot and uh, next to the pool. Oh, like, okay, yeah. She would sort of do parody videos of that, and people consider that comedy. Um, but she was insanely popular for doing so, built a really huge Instagram following. Okay. I've I, I got to be honest, I'm not familiar if she did stuff before that. That's the first time I ever heard of it. Um Okay. She became really quite well known, probably around about 2020, when okay. she or 2019, 2020, when she raised a stonkingly large amount of money for the Australian bushfire victims. Do you remember the bushfires? <laughs> the former fucking COVID just took over. <laughs> that, that other, um, you know, one of the other sort of acts of God. So you kind of need to understand this because this show is all about her and her comedy and her characterization. Okay. Um, now, I should. I'm going to give this a soft browse. Okay. Which is actually a massive compliment from me. I can't stand this woman. I can't stand her. Her comedy is fucking reductive garbage. Okay. At least what I have seen to date. Her Instagram videos were deeply, deeply and powerfully unfunny. (laughs) Um, But, you know... From what I've seen of her in this, she's got something. Okay, she's got a she's got something. She's got a she's got a presence on on television. She's got a camera, and the way she she plays the character of a fast of a live fast die young character of living is with a kind of an air of desperation. It's almost something a little bit like because she's not a look. I'm gonna say it horrible here. She's not a stunningly beautiful person in the way that so many people mm. in our screens are today. Like she's not unattractive, but she looks like a normal person. And, okay. you know, I think most people know somebody a little bit like this or who were like this. Mm. Um, I would not be surprised. What it evokes to me is almost like some of the characterizations you used to see Melissa McCarthy do before Melissa McCarthy became too big to waste her time doing that kind of acting and just plays a parody of herself now. Yeah. Um, you know, not to say Celeste Barber is is playing with 
body size the way Melissa Carthy used to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just sort of in the sense that, she, you know, I can think of a film called like Spy, where, you know, they played oh. up on Melissa McCarthy's sort of frumpiness. And yeah. um, but I don't know, I kind of like Spy. Um, but I think she's got something. And it's just so, despite the fact that I really don't want to like this because I do not like her character as a comedy, I find her very annoying. And I, but as I said, take off a grain of salt. I didn't sit down and watch the start to finish. But I saw enough of it to know she's got something. Okay. Okay. Um, what else have you got? I'm going to go back to Apple TV. Okay. As a new show has just started on Apple TV, I believe. That is called The Big Door Prize. Oh, this is the one with Chris O'Dowd? Chris O'Dowd. Now, um, caveat delivered. I would watch Chris O'Dowd read the phone book because I am a huge fan of um, the IT crowd. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't say I've loved him in anything else he's done since then. So I, if you want to go super deep, I did like frequently ask questions about time travel, which is... Oh, yeah. I always forget that he was in that. Very obscure film that no one has seen. Um, and he really is the only name facing this you're probably going to know straight off the bat. It's really a... A vehicle for him. Mm. It's about the residents of a small town called Deerfield who one day discover a magical destiny predicting machine in their grocery store. Um, which is kind of a little, a little, uh, uh, you know, brief, I think, maybe for the, the, the subject matter. The mm. ma- this machine called the Morpho machine just appears in this grocery store in this town one day. It's delivered and nobody knows where it came from. And it becomes a rage of a town because you go in, enter some information, and it will spit out a card telling you what your life's destiny is. And it starts, people really sink a lot of energy and belief into what this machine's telling them for some reason. And it starts to, people start to basically rearrange their entire lives based on what this machine is telling them their life's purpose is. Okay. Um, where, um, Chris O'Dowd plays uh, a character here named, he's named Dusty Hubbard, I think. He's uh, Dusty, who mm-hmm. is a high school history teacher. He uh, lives with his wife and daughter and lives a very normal, mundane kind of existence, uh, which is kind of summed up. Um, at one point in a conversation, he has at a restaurant with someone, he says, I got everything I ever wanted in my life. Why would I want to go, you know, like someone's like, why don't you just try out the machine? I ever got everything I ever wanted. And someone says to him, maybe you didn't want enough. Or maybe you should have wanted more. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's kind of a central thesis of the story is that, you know, um, people being told they should want more other than what they've got. Now, mm-hmm. I've only watched the one episode, so I can't get too deep into, you know, what the central thesis of a show will be at the end. Mm-hmm. But it was interesting enough for me to go a strong browse uh, rather than a, um, uh, a a binge. So, so different ends of a spectrum here. It's just too hard to go, you know, one category. Uh, it's not, it, it's weird that I like this a lot more than I did World Mania. Mm. So maybe a strong browse, soft binge. Um, if you like that kind, if you like Chris O'Dowd, if you, I feel like it's a softer, cuddlier version of Severance in some ways. Okay. You know, 
maybe not quite as sci-fi oriented, but playing around with some interesting philosophical questions around what you what people really want from life and what mm. motivates people. Okay. Uh, Chris O'Dowd's great in it. If you've got Apple TV, it's included. If you've got a PlayStation 5, apparently, it might be included. Worth a look. Okay. Now, like I say, I've got no binge browse burn for this time, but I will have for next because tomorrow we have got the drop season one of Beef on Netflix, which I'm interested in. And... Um, there is another Apple TV show that I'm interested in called Extrapolations, which is eight interconnected stories told over 33 years explore how our planet's changing climate will affect family, work, faith, and survival. And it has got quite a cast to it, um, including Meryl Streep, Sienna Miller, um, Matthew Reese, David Schwimmer, Edward Norton, Diane Lane, uh, Kerry Russell, Gemma Chan, Marion Cotillard, Toby Maguire, Forrest Whitaker, and it goes on. It looks interesting. So I'm going to give that a try. So it's a little wet. And that, that is out and available to watch now, at least mm-hmm. some of it is. The, I, think the, I think it might be the final episode maybe coming out this Friday from the look of it. Uh, episode six is this Friday. So I'm assuming, considering it's eight interconnected stories, probably eight episodes. Created by Scott Z. Burns, or Scott Z. Burns, if you're an Australian, mm-hmm. who is behind things like The Bourne Ultimatum. He wrote Contagion oh, as yeah. well. Um, so uh, someone who's got a, a bit of background um, mm. in some pretty big Hollywood projects. Mm. So it'll be interesting to see how they come out. I think I mean, that's, that's it for me, really there, right? Yeah, that's it. That's it. We're done. We've done our chain movie of the week with Piranha 3D, and we both absolutely loved it and would recommend it. And every one of the prequels and sequels that are spun from that from that um, pool. Uh, we talked about Dungeons and Dragons: Honor Among Thieves, a uh, surprisingly delightful little romp into the land of Dungeons and Dragons, um, as well as great little movie of Tetris on Apple TV. And of course, we had. Binge, browse, burn, care of the talent there today. Anything else you want to bring up, Patramus? Or are you good for now? I am good. We are we are under an hour. We're right on an hour thirty, and I am happy about that. Yeah, me too. I think we'll um, probably try and get uh, some Super Mario thoughts for next week, and we will have our usual two other. Uh, well, we have <clears throat> Grindhouse. As our chain movie has three hours and ten minutes, and it's only fair that he he finally subjects me to a three-hour movie, considering the length of movies that I have picked for him and Piranha Three D. Yes, I will take. It was only hand. an hour and a half, but it felt like three. <laughs> um, and we'll have so Grindhouse, probably Super Mario Brothers, and another one that we'll determine later on as a surprise for you all. But thank you all very much, ladies and gentlemen, for joining us tonight. Don't forget, you can join us live on facebook.com slash armchairproducers, twitch.tv slash thefriedbrain, youtube.com slash armchairproducers. Follow us on um, Twitter, at eviltrav, at thefriedbrain. If you have any recommendations for movies or TV shows that you think we should put into our binge browse burn or part of the circulation, please let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time, good night. Good night.